Well, let's uh, look at Mere Christianity Book 2. But before we do that, we're going to look up at the screen here. And, uh, you know, I appreciated our discussion on Book 1. I'm not sure what you thought of it. But as we look at it, you can look in the workbook here. And, uh, ready, slideshow, play from current slide. Is it up there? Come on, computer. Nope. Here we go. Right there. Nope. Wait. There. Mere Christianity, book one. Um, for about eight years, I made my students memorize the argument, read through all of it. I spent about a week on it. And then at the end, they had this quiz, which was write out in your own words the moral argument for the existence of God. So ready, go. Premise number one. How do we do? Without looking at your workbook or your phones, right, or your screen, how do we do? Premise number one. First, what's the first thing on that argument? I didn't make you guys memorize it. Um, I just want to see how we did. What's the, the first thing when you're talking with someone? The fact that there is, like, a uh, moral Right and wrong. Yeah. yeah, we got right and wrong. Okay, come on, let's do it up right there. Come on, sure. Yeah. Mints. Mints for all. I have mints, so you got us on it. Mince, pass them around. So, first, there is a right and wrong. What should, well, by the way, there's a right and wrong, and we should do what? We should do what's right. Second, come on, second, premise number two. There's a right and wrong. We should do what's right. Do we all do what's right? No. So there's like choice, I guess? Yeah, there is a choice to do right or wrong. That's huge. But we don't, is anybody here perfect? No. Okay, good. So first, there's a right and wrong. We ought to do what's right. Second, do we always do what's right? No. So third, consequently, well, where'd we get this sense of right and wrong? There's got to be it's got to be something outside of us because the fact that there is a right and wrong, we ought to do what's right, and we don't always do what's right. Where did this right and wrong come from? It can't be human. Otherwise, it's not real. Oh. Then there is what? Something else, right? And this something else better be a what? What? It better be good. It better be a being. How good? perfectly good and if it's perfectly good it's going to have what perfect standards and so this is the terrible fix that we're in right the terrible fix that we're in is there's a good god with there's a perfect god with perfect standards i'm not perfect with or without you right right yeah and so then of course this is sucky news <laughs> like this stinks because we thought Christianity was going to give us all this good news, and what's it start with? Bad news. What's the bad news? Yeah, we're sinners, and we're broken, and we're not perfect, and God is perfect, and he has perfect standards, and he demands that perfection from us. Stink! Right? So what's the conclusion? The conclusion is, is that we have not talked about the Bible, or Jesus yet, but did we realize there is a God with perfect standards and that I'm not that God? Yeah, cool. Nice job. Hey, you know what? 
I used to make my students memorize that and spit it back at me, and then I realized later that that's probably healthy to do on some level. We're at school, but why have I stopped doing that? They're just forgetting it later, right? I would quiz them at the end of the semester, and they're like, "Ah, oh, we don't know. We have to go look at it again." That's and then I realized that's fine. So guess what you should do? This is your teacher to student moment. Before you head out to college, what should you do? Get that in your head. Right? You're kind of crazy not to have at least that. And you know what? If you don't like the moral argument for the existence of God, then go find one that you do. So you got something to stand on. Why do we spend three days on it in this class? Well, two, really. Is because Christianity is intelligent. It's rational. It makes sense. How many people out there say that we're stupid and ignorant for believing in God? Well, wait a second. Uh, it's really logical, and it is very intelligent, and it makes a lot of sense. Fair enough? Go team. Onward? Okay. So that gets us to... Oh, man, what's going on? That gets us to the next page in our workbook. And let's see if I can get it in there. Um, and the next page in the workbook does not exist in your workbooks. Sorry. Um, you have to get the fifth edition. All right. Um, but let me get it up there on the slideshow. It's going to line up with page 121. In the future, it'll have this on page 120 and this next one on page 121. Uh, but look at 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. All right, it's in your workbooks on the top of page 121, so follow along. Maybe highlight a few things if you're willing. But by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I love that. It starts with humility and gentleness. I, Paul, who was timid when face to face with you, bold went away, beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war. Wait, what? Circle it. What? We're at war. war. We're at war. Those are fighting words. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. Bring it. <laughs> Go, Paul. Like, this is boxing glove stuff. So this is the part where I say for the first two months of class, wherever you were, Buddhist, Hindu, atheist, Muslim, I really hope and trust that in class you felt honored and respected as we built a framework for worldview, right? Realizing that all the worldviews point towards the fullness of reality in Christ, and so I don't need to dishonor your worldview. And I really hope you felt respected. I hope that we've been able to realize that there's beauty and truth in all of these other worldviews, right? Mm -hmm. Honor and dignity. We're not going to lose that. I'm not going to lose that. That still is going to stand for the rest of the semester. However, we're going to stand on what? Christ as the fullness of reality. He pulls together the truth of idealism, materialism, monism, and religious theism into the being of who he is. 
Well, in order for us to get there, then, we're going to have to cut off a lot of stuff that's not accurate. What kind of language, not Mr. D, what kind of language does Paul use? Demolish? <laughs> you guys, demolish. That's a sledgehammer. Demolish arguments and pretension. Demolish strongholds. I want some of you to be aware. What's a stronghold? By definition. Well, something that holds strong. Holds what? The people inside of it are held strong. It's a wall around a castle. It's it's a fortress, right? To protect the people inside and keep people out. And guess what some of you have done with the truth of God? Built a what? A stronghold up against God and Christianity. And uh, guess what we're going to do? Demolish, not you. Oh my gosh, please no. But I would love for you to bring any question or any stronghold that you have against Christianity. And guess what we get to do? <laughs> smash it we get to destroy it demolish it mangle it get the sledgehammer out get the backhoe out and like shred it guess what we get to do with any argument against the truth of christ destroy it it's gonna be so fun we got two months to just destroy it all right any pretension that comes against it now we're still not gonna lose the dignity and honor that I've been trying to set, it still needs to be a safe place, right? For who? Everybody. So if the atheist walks in the room, I'm going to love the atheist. I'm going to treat the atheist with dignity and honor and respect. But what will I be doing with their argument against Christ? Destroying it. <laughs> right? We have to be able to separate our arguments against God from our identity. Otherwise, if we destroy our, your argument against God and it's connected to your identity, you're going to feel like we're destroying who? You. Which, no way, I'm not here to destroy anybody. But Paul and I and C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien <laughs> and anybody else who wants to join the fun, we're going to take any question, any argument against Christianity and shred it. Go team. Now, what weapons do we use? Yeah, divine weapons that have divine power. They're not the weapons of the world, right? So am I going to use hate? Am I going to use sarcasm? Am I going to use, you know, bad logic, faulty logic? No, 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 we're not going to do that. The stuff we're going to use is love, honor, grace, and truth, forgiveness, hope. We're going to use paradox. It's a powerful weapon. We're going to use the Word of God, which is a powerful weapon. Hey, thanks for coming. We're going to use joy. We're going to use faith. What are some other things that we can use to destroy? Right? Well, anything that's a spiritual weapon. Think of Ephesians chapter 6. Right? Ephesians 6. What are the, what the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? Super fun to use that. Right? Belt of truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Go team. And so I think of saw, uh, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And eventually that leads into to release prisoners and captives. Some of us, some of us are prisoners to lies. Or we've been, cap we've been captured. 
by the enemy. And this truth can bring freedom. Are we ready? Bless me. Questions, concerns, thoughts on that premise for the rest of the course. Cool. Now, if you look at it in the context of Corinthians, he's got some other topics that he's trying to deal with. But what's the main one that Paul is relentless about? Work, grace and works, like salvation through works, right? I mean, he's relentless. I don't know if I said it in this class before, but bring up circumcision to him. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, the people who want to make you get circumcised in order to be saved, just tell them to cut the whole thing off. And you're like, well, did he write that in the Bible? Oh, my gosh. Right? Like, yep, yeah, he did. <laughs> Right? Like he is relentless on that when he comes in so strong because he's trying to destroy the argument of works saving you. Right? Well, now we've got some other ones that we're dealing with. And C.S. Lewis does a great job pointing those out. Right? But this is where now you get to, for the rest of the semester, bring whatever hard, crazy, awesome, hard question you have. And we just get to go for it. Kind of fun. Now we get to do it, though, in the context of worldview. Fair enough. It's really nice to talk about free will in the context of worldview because there's two worldviews that don't believe we have free will. <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal, right? All right, onward. So, let's just jump in. If nobody has any questions, I say we jump in. There's uh, the math equation on page 35. Let's just see where Lewis starts, page 35. Um, and this is where we're just going to kind of work our way through book two for today and block day, and then we'll be done. Okay? And then you guys get to work on your midterm and move on with life. Um, I had to repent of this first issue. And uh, this is me, a Wheaton Academy student who was in college at Houghton. And I read this. I literally, I read this. The book that I read, I don't know where, where my original is. Oh, yeah, here it is. Underneath here. Pretty beat up. <laughs> I read it, put it down. I remember sitting right there in the wingback chair, ironically, in my little apartment. I'm just like, I have screwed this up. I need to change how I do Christianity. I need to stop being a jerk. And here I am now teaching it. Right, what, 20, 20 years later, I'm still teaching it. I haven't had to tell you what Christians believe, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to begin by telling you one thing that Christians do not need to believe. If you're a Christian, you do not have to believe that all the other religions are simply wrong all through. If you're an atheist, you do have to believe that the main point in all the religions of the whole world is some one huge mistake. If you're a Christian, you are free. Circle the word free. You are free to think that all those religions, even the queerest ones, contain at least some hint of truth. Right? And he talks about the math equation. But before we even get to the math equation, go for it. Who has anybody found in there? I hopefully gave you some models of it in the past two months of truths found in Buddhism or truths found in other religions. Anybody have a personal example of that that they'd be willing to share? 
where you're hanging out and talking with your Muslim friend or your Buddhist neighbor and you're like, oh, that's a really great, that's true. That's really cool. Anybody? I had this great moment in class, get some fun stories here. Um, great moment in class where this girl, it was my first year teaching. I did not want to be a teacher, but I took a sub job. And I didn't want to be a Bible teacher, but I took a sub job as a Bible teacher for a year. <laughs> How ironic, right? And um, I'm going through the semester, we're halfway through, I'm having a great time with the relationship with the students. And we have this lesson on Saul visiting the witch at Endor. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Saul, Samuel is dead and Saul's struggling. <laughs> and he goes to the witch to bring Samuel's dead body back up and the witch actually does it. And I said, hey, have any of you out here bumped into any witches or experienced any of that? Because I know enough to know enough that there are witches and they're real. And this one girl, I think she was trying to shock the class and catch me off guard. She's like, well, I am a witch. I didn't laugh. I knew she wasn't joking. She's like, you are? Oh, what kind? It's like, oh, I'm part of Wicca. I'm like, oh, interesting. I've studied Wicca. What do you do in Wicca? And she shared a little bit of that. And I think she was expecting everybody like, oh. I mean, imagine at Wheaton Academy if someone in, in this class right now said, oh, yeah, I'm a witch. That's what it was like. This was a small Christian school. It's Houghton Academy, just like what? Wheaton Academy, right? And this girl's like, I'm a witch. Right? I'm like, oh, hi, witch. <laughs> right? So we navigate that. And we processed it out as much as we needed to in the context of Saul and the Witch of Endor. And I said, you know, it's interesting, uh, but do you believe in the reality of the spiritual realm? She's like, what do you mean? Duh, yeah, the spiritual realm is really real. Do you believe in the power of the spiritual realm? Yeah, I believe in powerful spiritual realm. I'm like, yeah, I bet you do. Right, do you believe that there's a God? Yeah, I believe there's a God. Do you believe there's real demons? Yeah, I believe there's real demons. Do you believe those demons have real power? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, wow, you are probably... 90% ahead of half the students in this room right now who call themselves Christians but have no idea about the spiritual realm. Um, why would she go to a Christian school? Her parents were making her go. That's like, just, why? If they, were they a part of it or no? She no, I'll explain in a second. Okay. But right then and there, did I have to dishonor her? No, and was there some truth in what she was saying that I could focus on? Yeah. Is the spiritual realm really real? Are demons real? Are they powerful? Can they share their power with her? Was she aware that there's a God? Like, yes, 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 right? And the truth be told is there are a bunch of students at this Christian school that I was teaching at that didn't believe in any of that stuff, but they were calling themselves Christians. So in some respects, she's actually what? Farther along in her understanding of the supernatural realm than a lot of the peers around her who were probably making fun of her for being a witch, right? Come to find out later, I did lunch with her and I'm like, hey, so what's going on? Why are you a witch? I just listened to her tell her story, and there's a bunch of guys who were bullying her, being really mean to her. It was a boarding school, and she couldn't get them to stop. And she would pray, and they wouldn't stop, and she was confused why they wouldn't stop. She asked people to help, and they wouldn't get her to stop. And so I said, she said, what I realized is some of my friends from this other school down the road were getting into Wicca, because if they did certain spells, they can cast the spells on the bullies and get them to stop. So why did she become a witch? To defend herself. <laughs> Felt really bad for her. And we prayed. I, I talked with her about it. And I said, you know what? Has anybody talked to you about the power of the Holy Spirit instead of the power of the demonic? 
She's like, well, no, I mean, not really. I asked about it around here, but nobody really talks about it. So I didn't know what to do with that. And all I did was just pray. I'm like, yeah, okay. And so I talked to her about the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how she could pray in the Holy Spirit. And you know what? A couple sessions later, a couple lunches later, she ends up repenting from trying to connect with witchcraft. She burns all of her witchcraft stuff. Witchcraft. That's ironic slip. All right. Um, she says no to her friends. She digs into understanding the Holy Spirit more. And uh, guess what ends up happening with her and the bullies? The Holy Spirit gave her power to go beat the bullies up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> See if anybody's awake. Like, is anybody paying attention? Like, like, no, that's what we would expect. And then she went and like killed the bullies, right? No, what did the Holy Spirit empower her to do? Actually, didn't even have to, which is really interesting. The Holy Spirit empowered her to forgive the bullies. She prayed for the bullies. And the bullies ended up repenting, saying they were sorry, and stopped bullying not just her, but who? All the other people they were bullying. It is awesome, right? Like, it's super cool. But here's this girl in class, different religion, who a lot of us would be like, burn the witch, right? You know, like... So this, but this poor girl's getting bullied, doesn't know how to stop it. And no one had taught her about the Holy Spirit. And she was overwhelmed. And instead of calling her wrong, which is what most of us would likely do, I got to build a bridge. I'm glad I had read this paragraph before I bumped into the witch. Does that make sense? Because I literally had to repent. I had to stop thinking this way about, I always thought I was right, they were wrong. And so I got to tell them that they're wrong and tell them that I'm right. It's been a long journey, right? Here's what Lewis uses with the math equation. Before you think that I'm around saying you got everybody's right. Ready? Let's do some math. So 2 plus 2 equals what? Oh, boy. How are we doing out there? 4 times 2 equals what? 8 plus 2 equals 10. Minus 5 equals 4, right? Uh-uh, what do you mean? Right? No, you're telling, me, you're telling the teacher that I'm wrong. Yeah. You're saying I'm wrong. Yeah. You're so exclusive, such a jerk. You think you're all that smart. I'm the teacher, aren't I right? Actually, no, I'm, am I right? Well, you guys are just you're exclusive Christians, egotistical Christians, because you're telling me that I'm wrong. When actually, I'm what? Wrong. I am wrong. <laughs> right? You see what's going on? There's going to be people who, when you tell them that they're wrong, are going to get really what? Defensive and upset. The truth is, they're what? I'm what, you guys? No. I am wrong. Right? <laughs> Here's the problem. What are we known for doing? We're known for going around and telling everybody else that they're what? They're wrong. Well, okay, maybe they only have a piece of the picture. Maybe being a witch isn't a good idea, <laughs> right? So could I, I didn't want to tell her that she was right. But guess what Lewis invites us into doing? Rather than focusing on this so much, what would a good math teacher do? Like Cassie Prempis. Hey, Matt, nice job on... How'd I do here? Come on, can I get a star maybe? Or a check plus? How'd I do on this one? Can I get a smiley? Maybe? 
How do I do it out here? Check plus. Like, I've actually mostly what? Let me say that again. I'm mostly right, but many of you were telling me that I was what? Yeah. Now, how many answers to this math problem are there? There is only one way. Does that make sense? There's only one correct answer. C.S. Lewis is not denying that. I'm not denying that. There's only one right answer, and there are right answers and wrong answers. But we've got to figure out our language here. Because we look like jerks. Let's be honest. We are jerks when we go around telling everybody else that they're what? Wrong. But more than, more than being a jerk, it's dishonoring. Here's the key. The truth is that that's right. And the truth is that that's right. And the truth is that that's right. So I'm actually, I have three things that are right, so I'm not actually all wrong. Does that make sense? And I know we're kind of being a little redundant on some of this teaching, but I, I want you to know where this is coming from. It's, it's Lewis, and it's right here. It's really powerful, and I'd love for you to catch it four years earlier than I did. Fair enough? So guess what we can do now? We can go around and look for what's right. Actually, with Muslims, if you've got 25 math problems and you're sitting next to a Muslim, they're going to get how many right? A lot. <laughs> they're going to get a lot of them right. How about the Buddhists? Does, does Buddhism have a lot of truth? Oh my gosh. Like, we're looking at, like, 95%, right? Does that make sense? Like, there's so much right. There's so much truth. And we seem to negate that so easily. Thanks. Right? And so I want to encourage us, strongly encourage us to focus on what's right. All right. Thanks for listening. Thoughts, questions, comments on that piece? Yeah. Just with, um girl and everything. Yeah. Um, I, I, maybe it's just because in our quote-unquote good Christian suburbs, we don't yeah. see that super often. Yeah. But like, when I think of a witch, I think of a Halloween costume and yeah. a long nose and all that kind of stuff. But like, what does that look like in today? Like, I mean, I get there's going to be tons of forms of it, but how do you just get involved in that and then my brother was a shaman. <laughs> you know, it's just you go a different route spiritually. And so you start looking for spiritual power in other books and other people besides Christians and the Bible. Is there spiritual power out there? Yeah. yeah. So are there avenues to get into it? Some are sneaky and some are really blunt. Fair enough. That's why we have to do testing the spirits lesson. That's coming after spring break where we got to learn how to test the spirits and navigate those waters. We're going to do that in conjunction with, I found the perfect spot for it now, actually. We'll do that in conjunction with the last battle and how they dress up the donkey as Aslan and kick everybody. Good spot for testing the spirits, isn't it? <laughs> I don't even, even know why I had that all in this class, and now it's like, oh, that's what I should have been using all along, is that last battle, those opening chapters. Fair enough. So we'll get there. Great question. Hmm? Oh, I know. Well, any other questions from 
chapter one. Thank you for that one. It really, we just have to get, we have to just get better at testing and learning. Stay in script. That's why that's one of the benefits of having scripture, right? Is we get to stay in it. All right, then, if you're not going to do anything else from chapter one, page 37 is where he talks about pantheism and demolishes pantheism in <laughs> a paragraph, <laughs> right? Um, and then we'll get to that in a second, but that has to do with the, um, the cancer. We're going to call cancer good. Are you, are you serious? Like, no way. We're not going to do that. Um, and that's the whole... All, all evil is warped good. We'll get to that in a second. But look at page 39, the last paragraph. C.S. Lewis takes out atheism in one sentence. He's talking about demolish, right? Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe had no meaning, we should never have found out that it had no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures without, with eyes, we should never have known it was dark. Dark would be a word without meaning. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. That's after this guy who was an Oxford professor and an atheist for 17 years or more. What's in one sentence? What does he do with it? Ah, it's done. That was too easy. I think some of you are like, why does that sentence work? Ready? Can I say that I'm cupcake-less? By the way, do I have a cupcake? No, so am I cupcake-less? Yeah, why? Why can I be cupcake-less? Well, because cupcakes what? Exist. So now I don't have one. I'm without a cupcake. You guys, if I'm walking around saying I'm cupcake-less and they don't even exist, does that make any sense? <laughs> Talk about absurd, right? So there's people running around saying, life is meaningless. How could it be meaningless if there wasn't what? Meaning. Well, it's not meaningless if there's what? Yeah. So we can say that it's meaningless because meaning exists. Well, if meaning exists, is it meaningless? No, so he's like, this is dumb. It's so easy, <laughs> right? Hey, have a nice day. Go enjoy a cupcake. <laughs> hey, don't miss book two. We got all block day to talk about stuff. I got videos for block day. Super fun. Haley Ledford, See ya. please come to the front office. office. Also, front Tommy awful. Ryan, Peter Keith, please come to the front office. Oh, it's insane. It's like That's like, I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm like, this is not about Mr. D here. We're just going to look at the book and talk about the cool stuff in the book. I know. It is just something. It just, it, doesn't, it just doesn't work. And that's the beauty of it. I, I want you guys to know where this stuff is so when you go off to college, you know where to find it. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. So, over at the hotel, my group was watching The Dark Knight. And I was wondering, I remember a lot of the and I were wondering, why didn't you use the part where uh, dentists flip the coin? Uh, go ahead, give me that one. Uh, I'm trying to remember. 
Because isn't he talking about chance, right? If he's talking about... Send me the clip. Because people showed me that one as well. And part of why I wanted to get the Joker in it is just because of he really, as a person, represents materialism. Yeah. Does that make sense? Versus a conceptual yeah. thing. Well, yeah, send me the clip. I'm fine using more. <laughs> it's a powerful movie, isn't it? Yeah, I'll just have to watch it again. I'm trying to remember what exactly I was thinking. Yeah, maybe I'll watch it again, too. There was a specific, like, There's so many great clips. Yeah. All right, see ya. Yeah. I find the spiritual realm very appealing. Yeah, it is appealing. Like, even, like, all and you're, aspects. You're spiritual. You're a spiritual being. being. Yes, like well, most likely to my imagination at this point. Well, because I'm looking for it. Well, a what lot. what is one of the tools that God has given us to understand the spiritual realm? I don't know. Imagination. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes. That's one of the ways that we understand it, and so a bad use of imagination is to take it all and run way out of the control with it. A good use of imagination is to understand angels and God and the spiritual realm and our access to it. Okay. That makes sense. That's a you you could be, but at the same time, you might be understanding reality. I mean, could an angel be standing right here? Yeah. Can you see it with your eyes? No. Can you imagine it? Yes. Yeah. Now, can we prove that it's there? No. No. Yes and no. But is it likely that it could be right here? Yeah. And my imagination gives me access to understand that. So that's okay. That's awesome. What is wrong? You'll find out later. Does that make sense? <laughs> right? Yeah. But I think it's a great, a great, healthy use of the imagination. And then you got to ground that in scripture and then your relationship with Christ. But that's that's our tool. It's like a hammer. We need it. Okay. Yeah. Cheers.